Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. So glad that you're joining me today for part two on 10 biblical facts about heaven. You know, Marty Johnson knew that he was a product of two young college students who had a brief affair. Neither parent was prepared to deal with raising a child, so Marty was given up for adoption and grew up in a loving home in Minnesota. Years later, as an adult, he started digging through past records and got in contact with his birth mother. The letter one day arrived that said, Welcome to the Ogite dynasty. You came from a noble and a prestigious family. The letter went on to explain that Johnson was the next in line to inherit the position of village chief from his biological father, the current chief in a village in Nigeria. So Johnson flew to Nigeria to meet his new family. He went from having no knowledge about any blood relatives to a noisy celebration in the village. There he was united with brothers and sisters and numerous aunts and uncles and cousins and, of course, his father. You know, in a similar way, Jesus is God's wonderful surplus and surprise letter declaring that we are his sons, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So I want to briefly go over 10 biblical truths about heaven. I gave you eight, so I'll just kind of review quickly the first eight, and then we'll spend some time on the last two. But number one, heaven is God's home. That's where God lives. That's what makes heaven, heaven. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are residing in heaven. And Isaiah talks about the fact that he is high and lifted up, and he inhabits eternity. He inhabits heaven. Well, secondly, we learned that Heaven existed before creation. I'm talking about the creation of earth that we know. Heaven was before creation. God the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the Father reside in heaven. The passage for that is John 5, 7. These three bear witness and record in heaven, the Father, the Word, which is the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one. Now, there's a great proof text right there for our friends who don't believe in the Trinity. Listen, if you don't believe in the Trinity, I'm not sure that you can really be saved because it's the Holy Spirit who is part of God who draws you into salvation. It is Jesus Christ, God in flesh, who provided the atonement for our salvation. It is God the Father who provided the way of our salvation. Three in one, one in three, the one in the middle died for me. These three are one. And these three bear witness in earth. Number three, not only is heaven God's home that existed before creation, not only is heaven a place where Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God live, but heaven is real. God created it. Going way back to the book of Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I didn't say heaven and earth because there's three heavens. God created the three heavens and the earth. It doesn't say earths. There's one earth and many heavens, three heavens. And number four, Jesus came down from heaven to earth. Now, he wasn't some alien. It wasn't on some unidentified flying object. He came down from heaven to earth when he was conceived by the Virgin Mary. John chapter 1, verse 14. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
So Jesus came down from heaven. Number five, Jesus went back up to heaven when he rose from the dead. Now, I'm going to give you a couple passages for reference, and I'm going to read the passage in Luke. But you can also read Psalm 68, 18, Acts 1, 9 through 11. But in Luke, it says, they were led out as far as Bethany. Jesus is taking his disciples. This is after his death, after his burial, after his resurrection. It's on the day of Pentecost. It's the beginning of the church, 50 days after Christ rose from the dead. It says they went out as far as Bethany. And Jesus, lifting up his hands, he blessed his disciples. And when he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. What a wonderful passage that is. So Jesus went back to heaven when he rose from the dead. Number six, Jesus is now in heaven and he's seated at the right hand of God. We refer to this a lot, but maybe you need the Bible reference, right? It's always good to have a Bible reference for anything that we claim to believe. And we learn here that Jesus is sitting on the right hand of God the Father. And that's found in Hebrews 8 and verse number 3. And then you can write that also, Mark chapter 16, verse 19, Acts chapter 2, verse 33, and Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Number seven, heaven is where the believers go when they leave earth. So heaven is home for us. I'm so glad that I have a heavenly home. I'm looking forward to that heavenly home. And and I've discovered that those who are most looking forward to heaven are the ones who do the most here on the earth. You think about all the hospitals across the United States. I mean, how many of these hospitals have the name Baptist in them, or Presbyterian in them, or Methodist in them, or Lutheran within their name? Why is that? Because these believers, they took out the Great Commission, and they took out the uh, loving your neighbor as you love yourself. They took that seriously as they followed the commands of Christ, because they had a relationship with Christ, they wanted to obey Christ. And Jesus says, when you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. And you know, Christianity created a whole new movement of caring for people. You know, prior to the coming of Christ, it was pretty much every man for himself. Now you look out for your family, obviously, but if you were not part of a family, uh, then we we didn't care about you, right? We didn't look out for one another. We were not kind to people that were outside of our tribe. But then Christ comes along. And what does he say? He says, love your enemies and pray for those who spitefully use you. You mean love the people that don't like me? Love the people that want to hurt me? Well, yeah, yeah, you love all people. That doesn't mean you have to agree with them. Uh, But we are commanded to love one another. This is how they're going to know that we are followers of Christ, because we love one another. So heaven is where the believer goes when he departs the earth. Now, heaven is also the place where we look forward to. We look forward to a new heaven. It is a blessed hope. It is a perfect place. Now, John the Revelator says this. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now, the reason this is so important is because John is not talking about the earth that we live on right now. He's talking about a new earth. He's not talking about the heaven that we see in the sky. He's not talking about the galaxies. He's talking about a new heaven. The first heaven and the first earth is passed away. They've been destroyed. There's no sea anymore. So in heaven, there is no sea. There is a river in heaven, but not a sea. And he says, I saw that holy city, 
So heaven is called the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It is prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, this is a very important point. When we think about marriage, I believe that God created marriage so that he would impart into us a partial understanding of how much he loves us. There's something about the love of a husband and a wife that is even stronger than the bond of love between a parent and a child. It says that we are going to go to heaven, and heaven is prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So we have the picture of marriage in heaven. That's why marriage is so sacred. That's why we as Christians take a very strong stance on marriage and what marriage is. And marriage is one man, one woman for one lifetime. Christ is devoted to us as the church, and he's devoted to us for all of eternity. Verse number three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He shall dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Now, remember the scene is heaven. Remember, John says, I saw a new heaven. I saw a new earth and the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And he says, this is the holy city, the new Jerusalem. And he says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. Oh, I don't know about you, but I can't wait to get to heaven. This is a place of blessed hope. It is a perfect place. It's the only time we're going to be perfect, right? Is when we arrive in heaven. There's something else that happens in heaven that is simply amazing. Number nine, our bodies will be transformed. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He talks about heavenly bodies and he talks about earthly bodies. He says, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. Now, Paul is talking here about the splendor of two bodies, our heavenly body and our earthly body. You may be asking the question, well, what's the splendor of the earthly bodies? We get the heavenly bodies, right? We're going to have a glorified body. We're going to have a perfect body that is incapable of sin. It will be a body that will not face corruption. It will not face disease. No sickness can impact or influence this heavenly body. But this earthly body, what is the splendor of the earthly body? The earthly body has its splendor going back to how God created us. He created us in his image. That's what makes our earthly bodies kind of special, right? And it's really the soul that is inside of the earthly body that is the place where redemption takes place. So Paul continues, we're in 1 Corinthians 15. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Now, I love this, right? Because finally in 1 Corinthians 15, we get a glimpse as to how our bodies will be transformed in heaven. The sting of death will be gone because death will be swallowed up in victory. So our bodies will be transformed. Number 10, heaven is a beautiful place 
with a whole new environment. It is better than anything we have ever known. And heaven is so beautiful because God dwells there and all things are made new. Well, Revelation chapter 21 says that the walls will be made of jasper in a city of pure gold as pure as the glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stones. The 12 gates were the 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great city street was a city of pure gold like transparent glass, and the glory of the Lord gives it light. The Lamb is its light. So one thing that will not be in heaven is the sun, the S-U-N, because the sun, the S-O-N, will be the lamp, will be the light. The glory of the Lord gives its light. The Lamb is its lamp. I love that. You don't have to worry about having an electric bill in heaven. No artificial lighting, because the Lord will give the light that we need. So heaven is an amazing place. You know, heaven is also a place that there'll be security. It's amazing that the gates of heaven are not going to be shut because there's no night in heaven. You don't have to worry about somebody getting in there that shouldn't be there because there's this great gulf between hell and heaven, and, and there's no access between heaven and hell at this point. So the gates don't have to be shut. There is no night. There's going to be nothing impure in heaven. There'll be no shame. There'll be no deceit. Only those whose names have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life will be in heaven. So heaven is a place that is prepared for those who are prepared to go to heaven. I hope today that you have a relationship with the Lord and that your life has been truly changed because of what Christ has done for you. You know, as a result of what Christ has done for you, uh, you're living a whole new life. You're living a different life your life that is set free from the consequences of sin. So I want to encourage you, don't give up. Keep pressing on. God is going to give you the victory. It will be in his time and in his way. So hang in there. When I think about people that lose that drive and that determination, when I think about believers that drop out, they have lost sight of the glory and the splendor of heaven. You may have had a bad start, but that's not going to define your finish. I think about a guy by the name of Jacob. Jacob is one of my favorite Bible characters. His name means one who supplants or one who grabs. In the case of Jacob, he grabbed his brother's heel uh, when he was being born. And his brother's name was Esau, and he was born first, but Jacob grabbed onto his brother's heel uh, when he was being born. And, And Esau was the firstborn of Isaac, but he lost his birthright to Jacob. You know, Esau is the father of the Arabic-speaking people today. There was a natural, bitter rivalry between Jacob and Esau. And today, uh, there is this animosity between the Israelites and the Arab nations surrounding her. But you know, when Jacob had a change of his life, when he wrestled with that angel all night, and God had to touch him, And he walked with a limp as a result of being touched, but his name was changed. His name was changed from Jacob to Israel. Israel means shalom or God's peace. Jacob was changed, and you can be changed. You know, if you're familiar with 
the Bible. You know, in Genesis chapter 36, as you look at the list of descendants of Esau, all their wives and their children and their flocks and their herds, they're all listed in Genesis chapter 36. And then we come and we go to a place called Edom. That's where Esau settled. That's another name for Esau. And in the Near East, we see that a man's wealth was measured basically by three ways. By how many children you had, by how many flocks and herds you had, by how much land you possessed. And we see that Esau had all of these three things in abundance. By any standard, Genesis chapter 36 tells us that he was the wealthiest man that ever had lived. He even had his own country named after him. But remember what God said about Esau. He said, Jacob, have I loved? Esau, have I hated? Now, isn't it interesting? What does this tell us about Genesis 36? I mean, why did God, through the Holy Spirit, go through the trouble of including the list of Esau's descendants? who would be boasting about their wealth. Well, I think two great truths are emerging from Genesis 36. Number one is that this is how God treats those he really hates. He truly is a good and gracious God. You think about that for a moment. You think about those that have really renounced the Christian faith and live a life that is really a heinous life. God still loves them, and he still treats them with grace. There's another truth that emerges from Genesis chapter 36, and that you had best not mistake material blessings for spiritual blessings. You see, in distinction to Esau, there's Jacob, God's favored one. What did Jacob get in Genesis 36? He got a tent. He lived his entire life in a tent with his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham. He never had a house. They lived as nomads, always wandering around. Yet we live in an age of Christianity where we value Esau and his possessions more than Jacob. We interpret the goodness of God more by the blessings of Esau than by the favor bestowed on Jacob. If Esau lived today, we'd put him on TV. He would sit there on the couch and we would ask him, Well, tell us how God blessed you and how we can have it as well. Jacob wouldn't have been invited to go anywhere. Nobody would want to hear his story. Can you imagine him stopping by a television studio? It wouldn't happen. I want you to know, we are like Jacob, wandering through the world. Oh, yes, we are sojourners. Oh, yes, we have done some very heinous things. But we are blessed because of the relationship we have with God. We may never be the wealthiest people in the world. We may never be the most prestigious people in the world. We may not ever be the wisest people in the world as the world measures wisdom. But we are children of the King. As a result, we have an inheritance in heaven. You see, we don't live just for now and what's happening today. We have our sights on the future, always looking ahead. As I look at the life of Jacob. Remember, you are not defined by your past. In Galatians chapter 2, it says, I have been crucified with Christ, Paul is speaking, yet it's no longer I who live, 
but Christ lives in me. The life that I live now in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You may have had a false start or a bad start. That doesn't mean you're a failure. You have a future. I want you to know that much failure is repudiated by a great focus. Jacob was focused on the future. He knew that he failed in the past. I mean, he stole his brother's birthright. I mean, it's a a heinous thing that he did. It's a terrible thing that he did. We know the story too well of how Jacob pretended to be Esau, deceived his father, and stole the blessing. I want you to know, you can lose great blessings if you don't appreciate them. It's the small choices in life that have drastic consequences. It's easy to think something is essential when it's not. And it's easy to grab the right things for the wrong reasons in the wrong way. But I want to remind you, your worth is in Christ. Not your job, not your education, not even your performance. Hundreds of years after God records the story about Esau, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 16, it says, There will be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. You know, as I look throughout Scripture, I've got some good news for you. There are really no exemplary families. We can learn some lessons uh, from the life of Jacob and Esau, but a search of Scripture turns up one rather surprising truth. There are no perfect families. Not a single family in Scripture is portrayed in such a way as to evoke admiration in us. Even the best of Bible characters were highly flawed individuals. There are many family stories. There is a considerable reference to family life, and there is a solid counsel to guide the growth of families, but not a single model family for anyone to look up to in awe or envy. Nowhere in Scripture do we say, be like the family of David, or be like the family of Adam, or be like the family of Joseph. I mean, Adam and Eve are no sooner out of the garden than their children get into a fight. Shem, Ham, and Japheth are forced to devise a strategy to hide their father's drunken shame. Jacob and Esau, bitter rivals, and they sow seeds of discord that bear centuries of bitter harvest. Oh, and Joseph and his brothers? Well, Joseph and his brothers bring changes on the themes of sibling rivalry and parental bungling. I mean, why in the world was Joseph favored above the other brothers? I mean, don't we want to avoid favoritism with our children? I used to get around with my kids when they get on my nerves. I says, I hold you all in equal esteem. I hate you all equally. And I'd start laughing and I'd say, oh, no, no. I love you all equally. And then his Jesse's sons, brave and loyal in service of their country, they were cruel to their youngest brother, David. And unfortunately, they had a heavy price to pay. Even in the family of Jesus, we might expect something different. There is this same theme. The same theme is exposed. 
The picture in Mark chapter 3 strikes us as a typical rather than exceptional. Jesus is active, healing the sick, comforting the distressed, fulfilling his calling as a Messiah, while his mothers and brothers are outside trying to get him to come home, quite sure that he's crazy. Jesus' family criticizes and doesn't appreciate. It misunderstands and does not comprehend. You see, just because you've had a bad start doesn't mean you're a failure. Your failure needs to be repudiated by focus on Christ and Christ alone. Well, thank you for joining me today. I want to close our broadcast today by praying for you. If you don't know heaven is your home, why not today receive the free gift of life that will radically change your life? Call upon the name of the Lord. Believe that Christ came, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day, and put your faith in him, and you'll have everlasting life. Lord, thank you for being with us during this broadcast hour today. I pray that the message is received with power and authority that is given through Jesus Christ himself. Thank you for your word that is sharp and and sharper than a double-edged sword that convicts and it brings comfort. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.